How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. <laughs> Standing up. Tom told me that it would be better if I stood up, so I stood up. You did stand up. Yep. And, and you know what was great is the basso that came in, which you just kept going lower and lower with your introduction. Is that how it went? It did. I don't, I don't even want to repeat it because... Sure. No, no, it would do it as a disservice and an injustice. That was fantastic. I like it. Nice, uh, nice production shift, having him stand up. At first, I wondered if he was being sarcastic. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I suggested it's like I was given because... Uh, Sometimes on the playback, <laughs> yes. you know, when you go from very uh, mellow South Shore accent to Dr. Joe show, it's it can sound a little compressed. Oh. And I thought a way to open up would be to stand. <laughs> it's very true. Cause it, it, so I'm less compressed. You are, and, and which is a good thing. Yeah, I feel be, better about it. To be less compressed, it means more outgoing, you Correct. know, as opposed to depressed. Or Can we talk about our, our new co-host? Yeah. Our new Coco host. Coco. Here Coco. he is. Here's Tom. Hey, Tom. Hi. Hi, Tom. So, so I, I don't think last time we actually, um, so last week was the first episode that Tom was our co-host. Right? right. And I don't believe that we effectively introduced him and the accolades correctly. Not at all. Because we, we had another guest coming on later. And so let's spend this first part of the show talking about Tom. Tom, we're going to talk about you. Oh, no. No, no, you don't have to say anything. Let's just talk about Tom. Tom's a great guy. Yeah, I think Tom's great. One and a he, he's a uh, film producer, and he's been awarded. An award-winning film producer. Once or twice. Can. Once heard of or Han. twice? Yeah. Whoa, all right. Cannes right. Film Festival. Tom, Ever heard let, of it? Let's go through it. Tell us a bit about yourself for real now. Well, I uh, name's Tom McCoy. I'm 26. Like, uh, I like the beach. like to walk on it. I went to Bridgewater State University where I produced the film Spectral Analysis. Spectral Analysis. Yep. That was probably my highest performing work. Went to both the Terminus Film Festival in Atlanta, Georgia, and later on, Cannes Film Festival, 75th. Wow. In Cannes, France. France. Yeah. Cannes Film Festival. Cannes? It's Cannes, huh? It's Cannes. Eh. Can, I don't think anyone's picky about it. Cannes Film Festival. That's a um, big... You say Cannes, I say tomato. Right. A can that's of tomatoes. A, that's, a, that's a very impressive that really is. event, by the way. That, and not only to, to be involved in. That's right. But then you actually and won he's right there here. as well? Well, I count being there as winning. That's absolutely it. But spectral analysis, tell us about that and, and the motivation for that film, what the film is about. Well, I thought of it as sort of a filling a gap that was present in the consciousness surrounding autism. So autism spectrum disorder, ever since the term Asperger's was more or less canned. It's become high-functioning autism in the wider autism spectrum. So right. what do you think of someone who was called having Asperger's being in their early to mid to late 20s 
on the autism spectrum. People might assume that it's someone who's on the lower functioning ends, you know, with the stereotypes of uh, being really into Sonic the Hedgehog or playing with Legos, even though, you know, we all love Sonic. And I made spectral analysis with myself and a classmate uh, who was also on the spectrum, a woman, giving our two cents on what it's like to not have Asperger's and be autistic. Right. Which, you know, you're not supposed to say you're autistic. You're supposed to say, I have autism, kind of the same way that someone who has cancer isn't cancerous. Mm -hmm. Sort of a way to separate yourself from the diagnosis, I suppose. But, And I guess it reached a lot of people in a way I didn't expect. So that year it was featured uh, as one of the finalists at Bridgewater State University. And it moved on to the Campus Movie Fest Festival in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, which is more or less the L.A. of the East Coast. Yep. And it was it was a great time. I got to meet James Gunn, producer. Wow. Uh, and then the year after that, the tour continued. It was selected for the short film uh, selection at the Cannes Film Festival. Wow, so yeah. cool. It's wow. really, it's very impressive. It's, it's impressive not just because, you know, of you and what you're doing, but that people are actually interested in the topic, finally. Mm-hmm. And people are really saying, what, what, what's this? So spectral analysis about autism, the, the spectrum, Mm-hmm. But really, I think this is a really interesting thing. So when they decided to change the name, so, so folks, just, just so you understand, there's this whole thing in psychiatry called the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It's been through many, many editions. And in the latest edition, what they decided to do was remove the term Asperger's and just lump it, in essence, into autistic spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there were some viable reasons for that some historical some historical reasons as well but i think it was an attempt to help kids get more services because mm-hmm. a lot of times if you had the diagnosis of asperger's um sometimes you actually couldn't get a lot of the services that you may really need to really to advance through your academic career but i never considered how it would shift a person's view of themselves to suddenly have one label and now be lumped into this whole other idea because it's it is not high functioning autism that that really is a different uh diagnostic category i think but you're you're sitting here what's uh, what's your take on it what what was the effect like to have that shift in name to me it was a relief because i always hated the name because you know no one chooses to be called it Hansus Berger, but people will laugh at the name because it sounds like something else. It sure does, uh, right? Which actually will get into the topic mm. that we are going to be talking about tonight, about humor. So yes, Asperger's. And I <laughs> I was also secure enough in myself that, you know, it wasn't... I think Mark just got it. I, no, I no, got it, sorry, but sorry. I, your facial expression got, <laughs> is the one that got me. Okay. It's the puss sound. It's a plosive, and people find it funny a lot. Right. Uh, that's what that's what that's what the joke is. But right. Uh, what kind of burger is that? Ho, right. ho, yeah. Come on. Asp, like the snake. Right. Mm. <laughs> but I was also I developed a bit of confidence in college. I I like to think I'm still coming into my own. Not a moment too soon. Twenty six. Oh, but we're all still coming into our own, aren't we, Doctor Joe? Totally. It's oh yeah. That was one of my more serious works with spectral analysis because it was very it was very vulnerable. Mm. And every now and then I'll look back and part of me will cringe. It's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Really? Yeah. 
nowadays I try to be more humorous without turning it into a bit. But why were you, why were you why would you cringe? I mean, I I've seen it. I think it's incredible. It is incredible. But vulnerability is an interesting topic. That is. You know, I mean, the the fact that you got that vulnerable that young is really impressive. It's courage. It is. It says a lot about you. A lot of resilience yeah. to be able to expose oneself that way. Yeah. So so why do you cringe though when you look at the movie now? Because I know I think a lot of people like to think that they've never seen someone in a state of weakness and gone, ooh, you know, what a weenie, for example. But, mm. And I guess I'm doing that to myself. I guess you could say I'm judging myself. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. It's called a projection in psychiatry where we project onto others feelings that we have about ourselves. So somebody who may be insecure thinks the world sees them as less than. You know, it's still an I am. It's still the best you can do, but it's definitely worth stepping back and wondering about it. Um, but I, I would hope to think that with all the accolades that spectral analysis earned, you realize, wow, there's, you know, you have value. Other people are looking at this and going, there's something for us to learn from here. Totally, and I want others, to re others on the spectrum to realize that they have the same amount of value. Yes. Which jokes can, I think, help or hinder. Yeah, so how, how would they help or hinder jokes? Well, to, you could joke about, I could joke about my autism and sort of make people realize it's not some doom and gloom scenario. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there are people who could take pretty much the same DNA of that joke and make it into a, a stereotype. Right. Which could reinforce other people's negative views on people on the spectrum. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there is that whole stereotypical thing that we worry about. Mm. But it's, it's really interesting because I... What, what, what we're going to be talking about tonight is humor and then the, you know, the consequence of humor sometimes, which is laughter. So we're going to be talking about those things. But I am really interested in hearing what you guys have to say about it because humor is unique and yet it is social. There are things we all share. Hopefully, you know, Ben will chime in at some point. At some humor, point. But I was saying yeah. that I find things to be humorous based on the surprise the attack, the surprise attack. I didn't see that coming, and mm. it, it, it surprised me to the point where I laugh from my toes. If I, if, if I see the punchline coming, you know, it's not surprising to me. I find the most humor when I'm, when I'm surprised, when I, I, didn't, I didn't formulate where it was going, and they got me. Right. So, so that is one category <clears> of right. humor, right? And there are three basic ones, and that, I think, is the incongruity. Yeah incongruity where you're expecting one thing and something else happens like dark humor you know dark humor uh really interesting and, and i'll just share a dark humor joke it's horrible that's what dark humor is really horrible so but um, funny. there's this this woman is is digging a hole in her backyard and she finds unexpectedly a treasure chest full of gold and jewels and she is so excited. She runs to tell her husband and then remembers why she was digging a hole in the backyard. Right. So, <laughs> okay. So really dark, right? So that's not what you expect. That's right. incongruity. Yeah. Right? And it's terrible humor, and I'm sure that I will get in trouble for it. I don't think it was terrible humor because okay. people laughed. Right. I definitely laughed, Dr. Joe. Thank you. Hold on. Let's get let's get Ben in here. Say that again. Oh, ben. Ben's been here before, after, present, and future. Yes. He laughed. Funny and, is funny. 
funny is funny. I think it's subjective. Oh, what do you know about funny? Yeah. What do you... What? I think it's relatively subjective because some people find things funny that other people do, do not find funny at all. And, you know, I think that there's also there's a cultural component to it and there's a timing component mm. to it as well because I think that there's some jokes that my dad used to tell that were really funny are completely politically incorrect now. Mm. Right? Oh, so ta- timing, era timing, you mean? Absolutely. Really? Right. I thought you meant timing of, of presenting the punchline. No, so, so the time you're presenting a punchline, one of the jokes yeah. is a classic joke about this. So this guy is, uh, is put in jail, you know, and he's there, and he knows he's going to be in jail for a while, and he goes in, and he's being shown around uh, the, uh, the lunchroom where everybody's, you know, having lunch, and somebody yells out, 78, and everybody starts laughing. And this guy's saying, what's, what's so funny about that? He says, another guy shouts out, 53! Everybody starts laughing. Another one shouts out, 104! Everybody starts laughing. And that's just to the person showing around. So what's so funny about that? He says, look, we've been here so long. We know all the jokes. So we've just given them numbers. <laughs> he says, okay, okay, I'll, I'll try it. Um, uh, 18. Nothing. 24, nothing. 163, nothing. And he says to the guy, what's going on? And this guy says, you just don't know how to deliver a punchline. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So, so you guys laugh, right? So is that incongruity? I would say so, right? I didn't see it coming. You didn't see it coming? No, I didn't no know way where it was going. Have seen that. I, I, was, okay. I was worried. <laughs> I was <laughs> worried. But you laughed. I did, right? because it got me. Okay. And so that laughter is also part of the biological domain. Yeah. Right? So the joke itself can be in that home or social domain. It activates something in the I see domain. How do I see this? Mm-hmm. Do I relate to this? And then you have this biological response, which is the laughter that release whatever that stress is as you're you know concentrating on the joke trying to trying to get there so incongruity is one form of humor i'm curious you laughed also tom i did it i would say on the same basis you know there was a rule i didn't know about yeah yeah what do you mean in, in the world of this joke yeah let me put you on the spot, Tom. Go on. No, go on. no, I like you know, I like it because I like the I like when one character will just innocently make an assumption everyone else will make, and in that world, the character's like, "Oh, you idiot!" Right. Why would you do that? Right. And and when I said, "Let me put you on the the spot, Tom," Mark smiled. I don't know whether Ben smiled, and you did. So that's another category of humor, and I didn't necessarily mean to do it, but. There's something called the superiority humor, right? So I didn't mean to put you on the spot with that, but by, by putting you on the spot, it created a group where we were all sort of in this group together waiting for you to respond. So part of humor is also a social grouping, how humor can bond people together. But sometimes it can be done nastily. To exclude another. To exclude someone else. Yeah. And you laugh at their expense. And I think that's why I wanted to come back to what you were talking about earlier with Asperger's. Mm. Where there, you know, I think we have seen over and over people who are bullies and mean and using humor at somebody else's expense. Mm. Butt of the joke. Butt of the joke. Exactly. 
But unfortunately, that also creates a group of people around this butt of a joke at the expense of someone who is now outside. And that, I think, they, they're calling that superiority humor, where you make a joke at somebody else's expense. Which a lot of jokes are created that way. It's called the uh, always funnier when it happens to you joke. Yeah, that's right. Blonde jokes, right? I mean, a whole genre of blonde jokes, of ethnic jokes, of all these jokes about other people, and we can laugh at them, you know? So humor can sometimes be a very insidious mm. component of who we are as human beings. What is the self-deprecating version of humor considered then? I don't know. So no, that was it. That was it. Uh, <laughs> that was that was. <laughs> you got me. Yeah. Incongruently. <laughs> um, but no, self-deprecation. That is some of the funniest humor in my mind. Agree. Right? Because the people are vulnerable and they're exposing themselves and probably sharing shared experiences that people just simply don't want to talk about. And it's just then it becomes incongruent and funny and shocking. And but the self-deprecation. It's a whole nother conversation. And, and it, I think some of the bravest people are the ones who can right. do self-deprecating right. humor, right? Who really can, can look at themselves in a way that allows other people to not only see their vulnerability, but their courage as right. well. So there, there, there are these really interesting ideas about humor. Now, are there, so, does, do people have certain levels of humor? the ability to have a common sense because uh, not a common sense sorry a sense of humor because there are people and I find myself in various communities you know moving around within subsects of communities and this and that and I'm always drawn by funny people mm -hmm. I'm drawn to funny people I want to be around funny people it makes me feel good I like I love humor but when somebody is uncomfortable or or doesn't have a sense of humor sense of humor I, i'm not super comfortable around them why do you think that is though because <sighs> they're not funny they're not funny but but, but 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 when you say you're not comfortable that's a different feeling right so what is that discomfort is that anxiety well if somebody has proven to me that they have zero sense of humor i can't be myself because I like to exhibit humor. I can't trust people that don't have a sense of humor. Really. Agreed. Why is yeah. that? They're not real. Well, they're not real. Yeah, because you may, you have the feeling that if you can only interpret things on a very two dimensional level, then I think what you could anything you can say can and will be used against you. Hmm. Like anything, even sarcastic. And I know, like this is speaking from experience. Like I would take things said sarcastically seriously. And that could ruin my day. Yeah, yeah. And so this is this is well, sarcasm really is a whole different ballgame. Oh, sarcasm is I, I would say a subset of humor, wouldn't you say? It is. It but is. it's also Don't you just hate sarcastic people? <laughs> Easily and most dangerously mixed. This is the this is the worst episode ever. <laughs> this is the worst episode ever of the doctor. Worst episode show, ever show. so far. So far. Thank you. The worst episode so far. I appreciate that vote of confidence. Uh -huh. um, sarcasm is not understood by everyone. No, it is true. And, <laughs> it's and not we... understood by a lot of people, and it <laughs> falls flat when that person doesn't get it.
Yeah. I find people who claim to be purely of logic often have times interpreting any kind of humor that isn't quote unquote intelligent enough for them. Well, there's th so so there's something to that though too. Is there a requirement to have a certain level of intelligence with humor? I Great mean, question. I think Great it more question. has to do with how broken are you as an individual at this point in your life. That's do you how think humor so, is though? interpreted. That's kind of dark. Well, but dark humor, it's all part of it, you know? It's either all funny or none of it is, in a way. But even Lori Duff talked about most stand-up comedians live a very dark... Was it Lori who was yeah, saying that? Yeah, I think it was Lori who was saying that. They live that. a very dark life, and then they go up and they perform on stage this very different character. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the question was, I think, do you need a certain amount of, of intelligence? I think it depends on the content of the joke. If the joke, you know, is intelligent or not, or has a lot of a lot of words really that mm. go on. But um, working at RTR, uh, I I see those folks with humor. Right. I know that they they think some things are funny. Right. But they might not necessarily get one of the jokes that I'm saying but they absolutely I think we all have that and and this is you know this happens really young you know and I, I think the early humor I mean I, I'm thinking about you know my own experience with my own kids I think the younger kid that when when I was when my kids were young it was the incongruity part mm. that they were laughing at and I, I think I, I talked about that story with, you know, with, uh, with Sophie when she was yeah. really little. And, you know, Carol, Carol was leaning over. Sophie's feet, you know, rubbed against her. And Carol fell down. And, and Sophie was laughing at about three months of age because that was incongruous. That didn't make sense from a physics point of view. But when Sophie was about 14 months old, though, uh, she made up her first joke. Um... And she and I were, were hanging out. We were, you know, having some meal together. She's in her high chair, and she takes the napkin. And she puts the napkin up on her cheek. She leans to the side where the napkin is. She closes her eyes, and she pretends to sleep. And she opens her eyes, and she looks at me, and she says, Napkin, Daddy. It's great. Yeah. 14. 14, 14 months. months old. Yeah. Wow. Napkin. So, yeah, I think little, little kids have humor as well as they begin to look at the world and begin to put it together. But here's a question that I want to ask when we come back from mm -hmm. our break. And, and I, the question really is why did human beings evolve mm. this? What is it about humor that is now part of who we are as a species? And do other species have humor? Because humor is part of who we are as human beings. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first three letters of humor and human are the same. Oh. Wow. I know. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm humming today. Wow. It's another... You know that they said that puns are the like least sophisticated form of humor. Do you know how upset I am I, I, about when I, that? When I read that, I, I chuckled. I chuckled <laughs> because I disagree with it. Yeah, I think it takes you. a high level of intelligence to be able to 
string pun after pun after pun together. I have one. It's a You're blessing welcome. and a curse. Blessing and a curse. You can't stop yourself. I can't. I can't. Is this a cry for help? I can't. What was that? What was that? Somebody told ben me. Hello? Said. Oh, Ben. Oh. Oh, 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 you forgot about Ben. Oh, we just, we turned Ben down and, and we just forgot all about him. Oh, okay. Ben okay. Nipitzin, uh, back up in the air. Must be in some kind of Twilight Zone or something, you know? You're not sure. So, what about this question? What's the guess? Because nobody really knows. What was the question? Why have human beings developed and preserved humor as part of our species? Because if we're saying that even little kids, and no matter what culture, there's humor. It may be different from culture to culture, but every culture has humor. Why? What is it about humor? It's got to be the biological domain. Okay. It has to be, right? Okay. Because it feels good. A good belly laugh is, is as good. It has to be one of the greatest physical feelings that you have in the human body absolutely one of absolutely. not the greatest right one of but it, it totally releases very similar neurotransmitters serotonin yep. dopamine endorphins yep. these are all things that are getting released when you're laughing um but still it doesn't explain why is it adaptive because remember the idea is that for something to be preserved after all this time there has to be something adaptive to it. It has to have helped us somehow, both as an individual and as a group of individuals or as a species. So what do you guys think? Well, it releases stress, right? Yep. So if the community is under stress and somebody cracks a joke and they all start laughing, they feel better as a group. I mean, isn't humor one of the most attractive traits in a person? If people look the way they look because that was the attractive standard thousands of years ago, what's the, how's humor any different? Mm, yes. So, so something about having humor does attract a mate. And when you thought about releasing stress, what was more stressful than the Serengeti 40,000 years ago? Yeah. And if our big strength as a species is our ability to bond together in those early days. Yes. It, I guess it was a way of endearing ourselves to each other and also making, uh, you know, outgroups, other tribes, so that maybe we... I'm only guessing, maybe so a tribe wouldn't get too big or something like that, but be able to divide as well as bonds. Yeah, so th this is really interesting part for me because, you know, growing up, I, I got really into sociobiology, the genetics of behavior, and this humor thing is absolutely part of it. It has to be in there, and I think you're right. I think it has to do with with social bonding, with creating groups, with bringing groups closer together. But Mark's point is also really important. It has to do with relief of stress, and that's one of the third categories of humor, is relief humor. So you're under all this stress, all this stress, and then you can maybe use the incongruity component and laugh about something and relieve a lot of that stress, relieve that cortisol response by flooding your brain instead in the biological domain with serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins. So I'll, I'll give you an example of of, and I hope Carol doesn't mind, but we use humor a lot in our family. We laugh a lot. Uh, and it's very rare that we argue, but on occasion we argue. So one time, this was years ago, I, I remember, years ago, Carol and I were arguing about something. Can't even remember what, what it was, but we were arguing. 
And she turns to me and she says, I'm sorry I make your life so miserable. Now, for a husband, this is a very dangerous thing to hear. And the response has to be very, very surgical and precise, or else you could get yourself in a lot more trouble. So my cortisol levels were going up in my biological domain. I'm in my home domain. My IC domain is being threatened because my wife is saying to me, I'm sorry I make your life so miserable. And I found myself saying, I never said you made my life miserable. And Carol said, well, we'll see about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And we both started laughing. You know, and, and that was it. The argument was over because she was able to come back with this one-liner that just cracked me up. Well, we'll see about that. And that's part of what humor also does. It is this tension reliever, the stress reliever. You can use right. it as in a way to take the most like stressful moment and just diffuse it. Yeah. Almost like because it makes me think of uh, a staring contest. What makes a staring contest so dangerous is that you'll laugh. Right. It's it's what how's it any different from any standoff where maybe you're not as mad as you really are presenting yourself as. It's absolutely. You're arguing over nothing. I'm I'm going to guess. Right. I, I, absolutely. I can't even remember what 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 the core of the argument was, but I will never forget that response. But you're absolutely right. The standoff thing. This is one of the things that I do in psychiatry. I must admit. So I'll have I'll have an adolescent or a young kid there who is absolutely stonewalling me they're not going to say anything they have decided they're going to come in and they will be in control of the session which i'm fine with but at some point i'll say to them okay whatever you do don't smile huh. and and they'll do just that and i'll say no don't smile and they can't help it they just start grinning and say okay all right all right so now let's talk and we usually, right after that, can just start having some interaction and some mm -hmm. conversation, you know? Because, you know, I use humor a lot in, in my work with patients. Never, never to diminish them, right. never to dismiss what they're feeling, never to undermine. But by using humor, I know what's really happening is I'm able to help relieve that cortisol stress response right. They have a laugh, something else happens, the serotonin, the different neurotransmitters in the brain, and then they can look again at why they're feeling what they're feeling and, and really begin to explore it without this fear that they're going to be judged and that they're going to judge themselves. They use the I am approach to really look at why they do what they do. And that, that is universal. Every patient I've had will use the I am approach so they can look at themselves in a way without having to judge themselves. And very often that means they can laugh at themselves. Right. That they can say, wow, that was, why was I doing that? You know, and they'll get the smile. What, what's the smile for? I don't know. I just, I just feel relief. I feel relief. And certainly that is absolutely yeah. one of the things that humor is good yep. for, is to relieve that internal pressure that we so, so very often experience. And, you know, in today's world right now, 
there's so much stress, there's so much anger, there's so much division, there's so much this group against the other group, and, and people, you know, putting each other down. You know, one group putting the other group down. Not being funny. Not being funny. Nope, yeah. not being funny. But can we then turn that around and say, okay, well, that's an I am, but why do we want to do that anymore? What can we do? How can we use humor to really well, there's satire. Each other. There's satire. Yeah. Right. Saturday Night Live. Right. Right. Major, major satire. Not everybody thinks it's funny, because if you're not in that group, then someone's mocking you, which right. is different than being satirical and sort of having a joke. Having a joke at your expense is different than being mocked. It's so complicated, isn't it? It is. That's what we're talking it about. Is. It. Because I think that this is something that, that we can all really learn from. What about the biological um, effect of the immune system? You know, somebody who has laughter, has humor versus somebody who doesn't. Absolutely. There is enormous literature on this. How laughter really, really helps you relieve stress, which means your cortisol level yeah. goes down, which means your immune response is going to be less. Because remember, the stress response involves increasing cortisol, increasing your heart rate and your blood pressure, increasing your immune response. Because if you're going to be chewed on by a saber-toothed tiger, yeah. which is elevating your stress just a tad, you actually activate your immune response because you don't want to get infected. So laughter is good for decreasing anxiety, decreasing depression, tolerating more pain, and absolutely suppressing the immune response. And a whole bunch of other things in your biological domain. So to get back to why do we have this, that's another big part. So more likely than not, human beings, our ancestors who could laugh, may actually have been healthier in a world that was full of stress. Well, you f you could feel it when you're when you're around people that don't have a sense of humor versus those that do. You can almost see the glowing more health on the person who's because they're smiling. Yeah, they're smiling. Right? So there's a there's a, a a a feeling of optimism and um and goodwill with people who have that fun loving way about them, right? Loving. Yeah. Fun loving. Yeah. And for many people, when they smile somebody else feels like smiling, which activates another part of their brain, the mirror neurons. The mirror neurons where you can begin mirroring what somebody else is feeling. And that's another thing, right? Because we can appreciate some people's sense of You humor. almost have to, you know, sit and understand it, though, sometimes. Sometimes it takes a while to understand someone's sense of humor. Absolutely. Even entire countries, you got to acclimate to their style of humor. Yes, that's true. I mean, the, the British humor... Very dry. Very dry. Very different. French humor? Is there? No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to all my listeners in France. I apologize. That was a joke at your expense. I'm really... Really sorry. Um, sorry, but, not sorry. But here's here's what we're talking about. We have no idea, really, right? Why humor is part of who we are, and yet it is. And I, for one, love it. So one of the things that I've done as a tradition in every clinic that I've ever run is after rounds we have joke of the day. We do that every time at the end of rounds where we've talked about all these folks 
you know, some of whom are in just such distress, with feeling so, I don't know, that they have no value, I make sure that we have at least one really, it's usually a really bad joke, and mm. I usually tell it. But we've gone around, other people, you know, have had to tell a joke of the day. And it just is a way for us, I think, to bond and to laugh a little bit and go out and get our work done. There's definitely a work with communal bonding that is associated with humor. Yeah, there is. And that's part of what we're talking about. Well, so we've got, let's just go over the I am again. Remember, the I am is saying we're always doing the best we can at every moment in time with the potential to change in the very next second to another best we can. This is who I am and I matter. Influenced by four domains, your home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and the IC domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? These four domains interact, but we respond to them the best we can. And humor is one of the ways that we can respond to some of the most um, stressful situations in our life. Yeah. We can use humor. Yeah. And I think when you can do that, you can step back and look again because you actually have shifted your brain. You've shifted from the stress response, which is limbic and is going to actually interfere with your prefrontal cortex and ability to solve problems. You step back, you look again, again look, respect why you're doing what you're doing. And with humor, I, I just, I'm telling you, I use humor every day. I, I, la I laugh every day about something. My dad used to tell me the story of a surgeon that he knew. Very, very famous surgeon who every day would have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning so he can get into the emergency room and the OR. Every day for years. And then the surgeon retired. And every morning he would get up at 4 o'clock. Yeah. He would go onto his porch. He would look outside. He would laugh and he'd go back to bed. You know, that was, that was how this guy managed this powerful life that he'd had as a surgeon and was starting to use humor, saying, I don't have to do that right now. Right. I can go back to bed. I can just relax. How many times are we in a situation where we are just so stressed out about all sorts of things and then something funny happens? And it's like, ah... There's this sense of relief. And part of that relief is the endorphin. The endorphin response is about relief. It suppresses pain. It helps us feel good for a little bit. And then we can think a little bit more clearly. So these three basic forms of humor, the superiority one, where sometimes you're laughing at somebody else's expense, mm. you know? And it's part of who we are as human beings. Um, then the incongruity one, where something is just startling. Now, the incongruity one for me is also interesting. I just want to spend another couple of minutes on that because human beings, our brains are designed to compare sets of information. That's really part of what we do. We compare sets of information. You show almost a newborn baby a blank piece of paper and you draw a line right through the middle of it they will orient to that line and look above it and below it. It is about comparison, sets of information. That's what we do. And so the incongruity part taps into that. 
here's this one set of information heading us in one direction, something changes, and we go somewhere else. And that feels funny. It's a surprise. It can be humorous. It makes us laugh. Right? And then, what was the third one? Relief. Where we use humor as a way to relieve the stress response. And some of that, I think, has to do with the incongruity as well. I think those two things combine. And then there are all sorts of different little bits. You know, there's sarcasm and there are bad puns and there is just dry humor and dark humor and satire. I would say that's more of a Venn diagramish kind of thing where not all satire is comedy, but right, right, satire, absolutely, and parody and, and parody, right. So, but I'm curious, was there ever a time, Tom, when you were growing up, that you thought something was funny when it wasn't really, or that you thought something wasn't funny when it was to other people? Oh, I think that's the basis of a lot of dark humor. Okay. I would say there's a big generational aspect to it. I would say that my generation has a lot of dark humor. Like, for example, there was not there's nothing funny about 9-11. Mm-hmm. But right when it happened, when we were school kids, we didn't really have a way of processing how terrible it was. Mm-hmm. Other than, say, that site Newgrounds that hosted, like, flash animations were... You know, older kids were making these animations of cartoons where we... That was how we gained an understanding of what happened with these cartoon characters uh, reenacting these terror attacks. Hmm. And we were like, oh, that is bad. But we learned it through a comedic medium. Wow. Wow, I didn't know about that. So what was this medium? What was going on? Oh, there was... uh, So there's a site still up today, Newgrounds. um, And it's a lot of, like, edgy... uh, Humor And, you know, a lot of great animators have come from there, but it was very cutthroat back in the early 2000s. Like, I don't know if you've seen those email chains where it links to games like, uh, I don't know, Bush in a Blender or Judge Judy in a Blender, stuff like that. Very, uh, very dark humor. But, but what about from Spectrum mm. and Spectral? So it's- specific to my position, I would say, I don't know, there are a lot of things that just tickle me that I feel like a lot of people don't get, like cockatoos. I love, like, I get a very deep joy looking at cockatoos. I could could watch one all day. Really? Because they're so amazing because they're very intelligent, but they're the dumbest looking birds. They they behave like like toddlers, but I love them that they can live to, like, 90 and still not change a beat in their behavior. I don't know. It's, It's a... It's a, it's a deep fascination that, like, I chuckle just staring at them. And I'm just chuckling just thinking of how fascinating they are to you. I love that. But um, I've, I've known a lot of, of, of kids who come to me who have had Asperger's or autistic spectrum. Um, and for some of them, they are baffled um, why, why some things are funny. Uh, and this gets into a whole nother arena of it because... So they're unaware that something's funny. Or or it's hard for them to take that perspective. Yeah. And, and this is just, this is part of the biological domain. Um, and I mean, I, I hope I'm not overstepping as I'm, I'm asking you about these things, Tom. But Oh, no. But it's, you know, it's it's such an opportunity for all of us because that's part of what we're doing 
with the Dr. Joe Show, we now have another perspective. It's been Mark and I yeah. and Tom behind the camera putting it all together. Tom's now at the microphone helping putting it together. And I, I just think it's great. And so I'm curious um, if, if there was ever a time when you were younger growing up where things seem funny to other kids and not to you or vice versa. Yeah, as I I had both my brothers are older and so their comedy was much more topical. So I wouldn't get any of the references they made. Mm. And I would say maybe for a lot of kids on the spectrum, not getting the jokes is just the same layer of extraction as not getting a joke that's meant for an older audience. For example, huh. I could watch uh like South Park as a kid and just think like, "Oh, you know, Mr. Hanky, haha." and not get any of the topical or pop culture or political humor that nowadays I can go back and laugh at whole new things. Right. And so maybe it's just would take a little longer for someone on the spectrum to develop, make those connections. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And then I've got, you know, folks who are so anxious that they just can't, they just can't see humor in, really? in anything. Yet the humor would be so helpful. It would be so helpful to them. People who are so depressed who can't see humor and yet this it will be so helpful. Too. What's that? This time of year too. Oh yeah. Vital. And that's I mean we talk about, you know, the the season of joy. But man, it's too early. I just see so many people who are so depressed. Yeah. You know? Bring in the humor. It's that's right. Bring in the humor and that's part of what we're going to do and that's what I really hope people can take away from this. So remember small changes have big effects. So here's a small change can have a big effect. Find the funny, as Lori Duff says. Find something, laugh at least, if you can, once a day. Oh, minimum. Right, minimum, at least. Small changes have big effects. You can do this. Laugh. Make someone else laugh. Control no one, influence everyone, make someone else laugh. Influence them. Tap into that part of their brain. Because humor and laughing it is not just one part of the brain. It's got to go from the prefrontal to the limbic system to association cortex. It really, like music, is capturing a whole bunch of your biological domain. And so, do it. Do it. Do it. Laugh. Great show, guys. We will see you next week. Goodbye, Ben. Thanks, everybody. Did he do it for love or was he just being wild?